Welcome to the Kindness Warrior Podcast. I'm your host, Carly Riggs, and this is part two of our chat with Dr. Priya Chandon and co-host Encore Chandon. This episode, we dig deeper into Dr. Chandon's work in the medical advocacy world, as well as a long talk about COVID-19 and the Down syndrome population. So I hope you enjoy part two. You are listening to the Kindness Warrior Podcast, a Down Syndrome of Louisville production, serving locally, sharing globally. Obviously, we are in the midst of a global pandemic, so there are lots of questions. I mean, everyone has questions, and it's been so confusing, and the science part of it, too, is confusing, and we're learning so much, and we don't know what it is. But especially in the Down syndrome community, um, I've seen a lot of articles, and some of them are opinion articles, and then some of them seem like they're studies, and it's confusing. I mean, a lot of it's very confusing, and... and, um, and so I just wanted to to see, like, what have you learned and, and what could you share with the community about COVID-19 and the end of the Down syndrome community? Yeah, so I think, you know, and you're right, it, it can be confusing. I think one of the things to remember is that you, you know, Encore and I are both people who are really good at knowing, like, what we are experts on and what we have no idea um, and, you know, like Encore, like if there's something about how to organize something, who's the expert on that? I am. He is. And if there's something on, oh, I don't know. I can't think of what I'm an expert on at this moment, <laughs> but, you know. But I know. so I think that with some of the articles and things like that, you know, it's in everyone's best interest. If you read something, don't take it at face value. You can always ask somebody um you know who might have be able to kind of break it down for you or help it make sense i think that's where a lot of the it takes a lot of time to be able to understand some of this stuff and so we don't do a great job of communicating it in a clear way but also it's confusing because it is nuanced because it's evolving um science is definitely a field where it's not that it is inconsistent when you make one conclusion and then you do another that's kind of the overall purpose of science is for us to be able to change our minds and the light in light of new information and that's kind of what we've been seeing um, unfold during the pandemic and i know that it can be really really frustrating um but i would say that you know that just speaks to the fact that truly this is a novel coronavirus as in it is brand new and we've never seen it before and so a lot of what you're seeing with things changing it's because we're learning and it's okay to change it's okay to learn um but i think that's one of the things i've seen is you know that it's not that it's being inconsistent or it's not well wait first you said this and like now you're saying this and it's like yeah, but that's a good thing. That means I'm learning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and in the, you know, I would say for the Down syndrome community, I know there's a lot of um, studies and things that are out there talking about who's high risk and who's not. Um, and I would say, you know, I think that the hard part for all of us right now is we're having to balance our mental health um, as well as sort of clinical considerations. And I think that that's an incredibly personal and individual decision to have to make. Um, and so I would just urge everyone to to think of others and to be kind to others when it comes to how people make those decisions, because there's a lot that goes into it that, you know, that you may not know. 
Um, I do think though that it's important to be sort of a, a responsible citizen. Um, the fact is that people with Down syndrome are high risk and so we need to do our part in protecting them. And so all of the public health measures um, that have been discussed, um, you know, like the Swiss cheese model where it's like, if you do this one thing, like there's some holes. Um, so the idea is you do this one thing, but there's some holes, but you do the second thing and there's some holes, but they're in different places. And if you do the third thing, they have holes too, but it's in different places. And so it eventually blocks all the holes. And I think that's the best way to understand what's happening right now with this pandemic. Um, there's lots of layers and they're all necessary. I wish that there was one sort of silver bullet that was like, take this pill or take this vaccine and then it's all over. Um, but I think things like hand washing, social distancing, and wearing a, wearing a mask, those are and a mask that covers the nose and the mouth, because those are in fact directly both connected to your lungs. Um, I think people forget that sometimes, but you know, that's why it's important to cover the nose, because the nose is directly connected to the lungs. Um, but so wearing a mask, um, maintaining social distance, washing your hands, hand sanitizing. All of those are important because it's that they, they kind of work together like a bundle. Um, yeah. And after that, they're not going to go away. So even when we do, you know, get a vaccine, I think those small steps are still going to be important. And my sort of challenge to people in the Down syndrome community and broader speaking is related to Uncor. Um, you know, Uncor really enjoys working. Yeah. Right. And it was hard when you had to stay home from work in the very, very beginning. Yeah. Um, and we all did because I we, we had you had your brand new niece um, mm -hmm. who didn't have an immune system at all in the very beginning. Right? <laughs> um, and so Uncle was wanting to protect her. So he stayed home to protect her. But then when it was time to go back to work, you mm -hmm. want to you want to talk a little bit about how your your work your when you get home, what you do at work has changed. And what about when you get home from work? You want to talk about that? Sure. Usually at work, I wear gloves, to avoid cuts or anything that can cut, 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 cut people, run into them. When I get back home, I'll be thinking to the garage, come in the house, take a shower, and then all the day's activities. Yeah, so you wear the gloves at work, you yeah. mentioned, and you try to avoid cuts and you do that because you work with those box cutters like yeah. sharp <laughs> um so safety precautions there and then you wear the mask at work too yeah wears a mask and then when you come home he said he changes in the garage and then he um goes upstairs and takes a shower and then comes down and interacts with the baby and whoever else is around um and you know we tend to be more conservative than most i would say but again because it's a personal decision and we have in my little sphere my immediate family literally everyone i interact with is high risk and my husband and i both work at a hospital so we <laughs> we'd have to take it very seriously in fact my husband's first day back from paternity leave was in the covid unit um, and at that point, it was very early, um, and we didn't know really anything. Nobody knew anything about how it would affect um, infants. And so I actually stayed, I stayed with you. Remember, I stayed um, with, with Encore and my parents for about two weeks and then stayed at my in-laws for about two weeks just so that there could be a month for my husband to kind of get used to 
reintegrating into the hospital environment and getting his routine down and all of that. Um, so again, I guess my advice to the Down syndrome community is, you know, please ask, please ask a scientist. Um, you're, you're welcome to email me. <laughs> yeah, I'll put pr- Dr. Tandon's uh, email address in the in the show notes. <laughs> I'm happy to, you know, because it is confusing. Um, but remember too that, you know, if you hear one thing and you hear another thing, like like science evolves, it doesn't mean it's inconsistent or that you know, we're changing our positions or anything like that. It just means in the beginning, we took the most conservative stance possible, but as things change, um, you know, and I I joke about it too, but so I also studied public health um, and I'll tell you that my final exam in 2009, okay? So 2009, one of my final exams in my classes was, how would you handle the next pandemic? So there are very concrete steps that should be taken. Um, and it is things that we know. Um, this is not something that, you know, there's, it's just never happened. There's no, <laughs> right. Not the case. Um, and so, you know, it's for a variety of reasons, the response has been pretty complicated, but I just wish kind of people knew that because I've been pulling my hair out for months being like, no, you're what we needed to do. Like this is... <laughs> Like, this is, so ask a public health professional, ask the scientists, um, ask the physicians, um, and they can kind of help you sort through, um, because there is a lot of noise, for sure, and, you know, I think that's the case with, with stuff in the science realm as well as everything else. Yeah, one of my little things that have, has happened, which I feel like for a lot of people it's been this way, but I've gotten addicted to TikTok, just like every other millennial. (laughs) But my favorite TikTok, and it runs in my mind all day long. It runs through my mind is the is the girl that sings um, the pandemic isn't over just because you're over it. Have you seen it? <laughs> and then she it like changes keys. The pandemic isn't yeah. over. <laughs> it's like oh, that's what that's what constantly plays in my mind. And like I'll even do it to myself when I'm like I really want to oh, go. Yeah wherever you know somewhere I shouldn't go you know because I've been trying to obviously for the health and safety of our members with Down syndrome but also I've got a new baby and like I want to meet her and you know like they're things and so I'm like no I'm gonna I'm gonna stay home and uh, you know call this friend or whatever so but that's it's in a constant loop in my mind there's ways to like do things you know in a safe way and I wish that that's what people would have more conversation about as opposed to just this binary like either you do all the science or you don't do any of the science. I'm like, no, there's a good middle ground that like, you know, again, like a public health professional or a scientist can help you think through. Like we've, you know, we went into like extreme lockdown in the beginning and then sort of phased back in, but did it in a responsible way and made sure that we're still protecting those around us. So I think there's definitely Mm -hmm. ways to, but I encourage people to remember that and kind of think about it. Like you just have to have very candid conversations, which, as we talked about earlier on this podcast, my family is no stranger to. <laughs> well, that's good. I mean, it's 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 definitely very good to be to be open and just kind of talk through things. It's 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 very important, I think. Yeah. So, did you read the article that was published by I want to say the BBC? It was a it was a, a study done in the UK and and it's definitely I don't want to say it's been blown out of proportion because that's a little extreme for me to say that. But I feel like they were doing this study on individuals with Down syndrome and COVID-19 because they wanted to make sure that they were on the list of high risk. 
And mm-hmm. so they did this article and it's been published. And so and so everyone got really extra scared. And instead of just being like, they should have always been on that list. It's yeah. like it it almost kind of got taken as they're more at risk than what we originally thought. So I don't I didn't know if you had if you had happened to read that I, one. I did. So I haven't I, I, I think I know which one, but I won't like comment on it specifically just to make sure I'm talking about the right, right article. Mm-hmm. But some of the trends that I've seen is I mean, it's exactly like what you were saying, where it's like the the this population should be listed on high risk so that we have the appropriate accommodations necessary for them. Um, And, you know, that's been a topic, not just in Down syndrome, but the disability community more broadly, Um, because, you know, the fact is that people with disabilities interact. There's so many more touch points. Um, And by that, I mean, you know, whether it's the folks at like at Down syndrome Louisville, if you go there for programming, um, if you have um, uh, one of the CLS workers that comes to work to you or, or direct support professional or, um, you know, anything like that, you kind of depend on, on those people. And you, when it comes to something like a pandemic, the contacts of every single person in your contact circle are also your contacts. So it's by nature that people with disabilities, people with Down syndrome sort of have more contacts, so that puts them at risk. Obviously, same as with the general population, if you have underlying pulmonary disease, um, obesity, um, you know, some of those known risk factors are a bit, are more common in people with Down syndrome. Mm. Um, So I think that, you know, people with Down syndrome are at higher risk. It's not so simple as, it's because of the Down syndrome. You have to look at the wider systems to really understand that. Obviously on the clinical side, Yes, you could think about pathophysiology, but there's sort of systems level um, interactions there as to why somebody might be higher risk. One of the um, you know things in the Down syndrome community is thinking about the living situation. So again, I mentioned like the number of contacts. If you're living in a group home or somewhere in a congregate setting, you're interacting with more people, and that automatically would put you at higher risk. If you're living in you know a family of two households, but there's probably, what is there, like 11 of us total or something, and we've all shut it down. Like, I have not been in a store to date. I actually went to Costco in the store with my dad for the first time this week. Oh, my goodness. Since January, I've not been in a single store. So, you know. (laughs) Were you like, ah? (laughs) I was like, well, it was kind of funny because I thought I would be like, you know, like that I, I would miss it. And I'd be like, this is great. And to be honest, I was kind of overwhelmed. Like I was a little overstimulated and was like, Costco is a big one to go into for the first time. <laughs> yeah. And I was, I was just kind of like, whoa, like this is, and, but that's something that really kind of came to my mind for, you know, our loved ones with Down syndrome. I was like, Uncle adjusted better into reintegrating into the world than I did. I gotta say, like he was rare to go went back to work and, you know, enjoyed it. Whereas like I tried to go do groceries once and like fell apart. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 100%. I I definitely um, have had several anxiety attacks while trying to grocery shop where it's just like, get me out of here. That lady's close to me, you know, like just all these things. So um, I, I totally get that. You mentioned before how important mental health is, and and we we know that social interaction with well, 
all humans, but specifically because this is our podcast, but specifically people with Down syndrome, that social interaction is super important. So that's one of the reasons that, um, you know, when we found out we were closing, I, I, I scheduled a Zoom boogie down. Like it was like the the first thing, you know, like, so I I have a question for Encore. So now we have all kinds of programs that are happening virtually at Down Center of Louisville. Um, We've got, Mm -hmm. let's just list them. We've got Boogie Down Crew. We've got Book Club. We've got Bollywood. We've got Sign Language. We've got ADA, which you're working. So I don't think you do that. Do you, the Adult Development Academy? No, mm-hmm. yeah, because you're working. And then we've got um, living and learning. And then we've been doing some social events. So my question is, and I think I know the answer, but I'm not, I, maybe not. But I want to know which one's your favorite. Book club. Book club. I, oh, I thought you were going to, well, and you said Boogie Down? Yeah. And Boogie Down. Yeah, then. I thought you were going to say Bollywood. And Bollywood. And Bollywood. <laughs> well, because you practically could teach Bollywood. I mean, we've yeah. we've discussed this that like if Mr. Ramath happened to need a day off, like you could be the sub. Yeah, yeah, you pretty much could. You could. Um, okay. How important has that been to be able to see your friends on core on Zoom? It's quite fun actually. You interact more and be more social. Then you're at home. Yeah. Hello. Yeah. And and I've noticed that with some of our friends and I, and I and I don't want to put words into your mouth encore but I feel like I've seen it with you that some of our friends actually are more comfortable doing class from home. <laughs> Do you feel like that you're comfortable in your house and so it's a little bit easier? Yeah, way easier. Way easier than like having to yeah. feel like you're put not been put on the spot in a group setting? Yeah. I feel like they've um been joking about like the introvert extrovert like so with the pandemic and like sort of like expose different disparities because it affects people differently. And one of those is that like the extroverts are really, it's like pray for your extrovert friends. And it's like, meanwhile, the introverts are thriving. <laughs> I could not agree more with that. I mean, I'm definitely, I, I'm definitely an introverted extrovert. Like I need my alone time. Like I need to yeah. go be by myself after, a, you know, something, but I also like, you know, I, I wouldn't be, I also would not be surviving without these classes <laughs> because I'm seeing, you know, I'm seeing all of them. Yeah. And, but it has been amazing to see some of our members flourish throughout, through this. And I, and I do think it's yeah. our, our introverts, including, and I think Encore is included in that for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I think too, it's been, you know, it's been cool to see how creative, um, like y'all have been and how creative you can get with programming because on the one hand it's a it's helpful because then you're able to offer the programming but also I think it kind of gives everybody something to focus on like not focusing so much on like what we can't do in terms of like well you can't go see your friends or you can't you know it's not like it used to be you can't do instead you're focusing on like what you can do and so it's like you know like you look forward to those zoom events I know you do the same way you used to look forward to the in-person programming and while it's not the same as being there with people the excitement is still the same Mm -hmm. um it's a positive thing both because you get to do the programming but also because it kind of reorients your mindset a little bit to not focus so much on like boo rona (laughs) right (laughs) (laughs) that's just not you know like it's i i talk about this all the time but like i'm actually 
you know, there are there are many people that are so terribly off right now because of this pandemic. And really, I think the, you know, us at Down Syndrome Louisville, all, most of the folks I would say are pretty fortunate. Um, and so rather than focusing on what we can't do or the Rona, I think if people counted their blessings more, they would realize that there's still so much out there. Um, I know for me and Encore, you know, baby kind of became a high priority for us. And, you know, the fact that now my niece, or not my niece, <laughs> your niece, um, my daughter, Encore's niece, can see him is huge. And we're like, you know what? If everything shut down, if all programming, if you couldn't go to work, if you couldn't go to do any social things, mm-hmm. at least we would have each other. And there was a time where, you know, I was isolated away from my husband with a newborn. That was hard. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and I've talked to some of my friends about this too, because like you know, we've been just like everybody else. We've been doing like you know Facetime calls, or we you know yeah. we've got like this Marco Polo that we're talking back and forth all all day. But even that same group that we're talking to each other all day, we still have been doing Zoom calls because. I need to have something to look forward to. And I feel like with yeah. this, with these yeah. programming, you know, different programs and stuff that, you know, that's a huge part of it is to have, actually yes. have something to look forward to. Yeah, and give you a routine and a schedule, you know, to like at three o'clock or whatever, like I'm doing this so that you're not just like floating through the weird abyss of Rona time. <laughs> right, what day is it? <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about um, your advocacy programs through the U of L Med School. Remind me, did you do some not in Louisville? Yeah, yeah. Um, So basically what that is, is it's a program called the National Curriculum Initiative in Developmental Medicine. Um, And so it's it's, um, done by the American Academy of Developmental Medicine and Dentistry, or AADMD, um, in cooperation with Special Olympics International. Um, So the funding comes from a cooperative agreement with Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, CDC. Um, And what it is, is basically it's it's a very long-term effort that's been going on since probably around 2009. Um, Dr. Matt Holder um, is really kind of the leader of those efforts. He was also here in Louisville. Um, But so he, I came on to the project um, really bringing U of L on board um, because they had funds available for medical schools to implement curriculum about people with intellectual and developmental disabilities, including Down syndrome. And so L started that program. Initially, we um, partnered with Special Olympics Kentucky and then brought y'all on board, um, as you know. And so we, what we were able to do is have um, people with IDD come to the medical school to speak to our small groups. Um, and so we worked with several of our self-advocates, um, like I said, from those two different community partners and just did sessions where we could, you know, talk about certain themes and then have our self-advocates give advice to the medical students um, and really just kind of give a, give them a chance to interact with this population and also to see sort of um, positive modeling, like respectful interaction with this population. Um, and kind of break down those barriers because I think, you know, the more that there is a space where people have been excluded or not included in it, the more important it is to invite them into that space. 
And so you can imagine in the medical school, that's a place where the disability community and medicine have had, you know, not the best of relationships <laughs> through, through history for a variety of reasons. But so we felt like that was really important was to invite the self-advocates into that space. But so the project as a whole, so that's kind of the Louisville efforts, um, but the project as a whole started out with saying, can we do three schools a year for four years? So a total of 12 schools. Um, I came on as project director. So because I was like the lead person at Louisville um, and I then came on in sort of like the project director role. So then I see the curriculum, oversee the curriculum at all of the schools. Um, and we kind of generated a lot of excitement about it. And so instead of just 12 schools, we're in our oh final my goodness. year now, and we're up to 20. And and how many awards have you won for this program now? <laughs> uh, for that, <laughs> maybe like one. I don't know. My, my thing about it is, you know, it's something when I was a med student, I did what I could to try to bring that content to the medical school. But again, being a sibling, I knew it was lacking. And my fellow siblings in school also knew it was lacking. And so when the opportunity came to, for us mm -hmm. to address it, that's my passion. Like that, that's what I want. And so I'm going to be doing it until, you know, it's required and it's taught everywhere and everybody learns it. And, and I think now there's actually opportunity for that. So like I said, so the 20 schools um, and two of them actually got their own funding. So 18 are funded by Special Olympics um, and CEC, but two additional ones came on um, and were able to say like, hey, we're part of this bigger network and don't you want to fund us? And they were successful. Um, so it was really about kind of collaborating and coming together um, and using that momentum to kind of push things forward. So we do a lot of advocacy stuff related to medical education as well in terms of the you know the requirements in the curriculum sort of what is required to be taught and what's not um and kind of making sure that uh disability and intellectual disability and down syndrome are included in that and i think that's something where a really good example of something where the down syndrome community really has the opportunity to lead the way to be leaders for a much broader population um, so within the disability community, I think people with Down syndrome, the Down syndrome community is a strong voice. Um, and so we try as much as we can to, you know, advocate for other things as we're doing it. Um, so an example of that, a lot of the schools are really focused on health equity now. Um, not surprising. I think that's a, a very salient topic, especially, you know, we live in, we live in Louisville. So obviously there are lots of equity discussions, um, right now, and it's important. But what I try to have people remember is that anytime you're thinking about equity, don't break it off into little pieces um, based on separate identities, because like, aren't we all whole people? And don't we have multiple identities? As in like, Ankur has Down syndrome, but Ankur is also Indian mm -hmm. and Ankur is also a musician, right? And like, I'm Indian, but I'm also, um, you know, a, like, big music buff, whatever the case is, everybody has different identities. Some you can tell by looking at people, some you can't. And so for that reason, you don't always know kind of what somebody's perspective is. Um, but if you just approach things with a lens of equity, I think that that's the best way to do things. And that's what we try to teach the medical students throughout all of these programs. 
Encore, you are a part of this program, this advocacy program. So what kind of things do you teach these med students when you go in as an advocate? We teach the students how to be themselves, dream big, and dreams. Yeah, you're you're definitely an inspiration. Whenever we go in, like we, you and I have been in a couple of them together, and I definitely feel like um, you're you're very inspirational. You always tell them to chase their dreams and to, to dream big, because because you've done that, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and another thing that I thought that I always think is really good when you go in is that you kind of talk to them about how you prefer to communicate. So what do you tell them when, if, if I was to, um, let's say that I'm a doctor and I am having a hard time understanding what you are saying, what should I do? Um, you can listen closely as to what directions you should be, you should be, you should be, uh, you should be guidelines. Yeah, absolutely. I could I could watch some of your physical, like you know, maybe you're trying to tell me with with your hands or, um, and I know that Priya has mentioned before that sometimes if you are having a hard time thinking about what you want to say, that you, do you prefer to you to text? Yeah, me too. I do too. I I avoid yeah. phone calls like the plague. <laughs> I'm like, send me a text. <laughs> but but sometimes like, and we have lots of our members. Um, that like to do that like if they're struggling to say something and um and someone is just not getting it it's it's much better to take the time to listen and maybe ask them to slow down or even ask them to type it out on their phone and show you because it's so frustrating to not to not be heard i mean yeah that's that's something that i feel like all the med students always really nod their heads when you're kind of talking about that um, so what kind of feedback have you gotten, Priya, from the, the actual students? So that's what's really cool about this is it is like 100% embraced by the students. I think you saw that a little bit kind of when you guys came, but I will say that they're hungry for this content and they're excited to get to interact with people um, you know, like Encore and get to have that interaction um, and to learn from people with disabilities, from people with Down syndrome. Um, they don't really, they they are starting, I will say like, I always knew it was missing from my education because of my personal, you know, my, my family, right? But yeah, I would say that with medical students, you know, we're seeing that they have a more equitable mindset because they're kind of very aware of who's included and who's missing and not because it personally affects them, um, just because they're sort of more perceptive of that. So that's been really encouraging. Um, and I'll say that, you know, on the undergrad level, because sometimes I work with undergrad students, um, there's one story that sticks out that's really encouraging to me. Um, I was working with a student, she was doing data entry, um, and she called me over and said, you know, there's this term here. I don't really know what it means. Um, can you help me? And I was like, you don't know what this means? And she's like, no, was I supposed to know what it means? And I was like, well, no, but so the term was mental retardation. And she's like, I've never seen that before. 
And I almost burst out into tears and she could tell, and she was like, I'm so sorry. Like, am I supposed to know this? Like, and I was like, no, 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 no. It's the fact that you don't know this. That's like the best thing. Like you have made my day. Yes. I I got goosebumps. Like I have goosebumps all the way down my arms. And I asked her and I was like, you know, intellectual disability. And she's like, well, of course, but like, I don't know what this, this thing is. Like, I've never seen that. (laughs) That's amazing. That's one of the things that I definitely is so encouraging to me. And I try to remind parents who might have, uh, you know, not the best um, experience at at a doctor or, you know, asking me for references to get a new doctor if they've had a bad experience or something, or even a bad diagnosis experience that I'll say, you know, just just remember that all these doctors are going to retire soon. (laughs) Because a lot of your student, you know, like, whenever we, um, a lot of times when I do advocacy things, I'll say, you know, raise your hand if you've ever met someone with Down syndrome. Yeah. And, you know, with little kids, a lot of times there'll be two kids. But usually in, in college setting, every single person knows someone with Down syndrome. And, and inclusion in the schools right. is becoming more and more popular. So usually, you know, they they know somebody. For sure. And they might still be learning about some of the, you know, some of the things about Down syndrome but or or any intellectual disability. But for the most part... You know that's why inclusion is so important, and and yes. and um, because you know we're 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 seeing why it's important even as you know our individuals are growing up. Okay, so so my last question is about: Have you had a chance to take a look at the new um, adult guidelines, the medical guidelines for adults? No, not yet, but I know that they have come out. Um, I'm actually on the um, Scientific Clinical Advisory Board um, for NDSS, mm-hmm. for National Down Syndrome Society. Um, and we've been talking about um, those guidelines for quite some time. So we're really excited that they've um, come out now um, with DISMIG. Um, and, you know, I'm kind of, I'm sort of new to some of the organizations. So if I said that wrong, I apologize. I know there's Global, um, there's NDSS, um, and there's... NDSC? NDSC, yeah. <laughs> There's um, so many. I know. And then I so think, many letters. Dismig, I believe, is through global. Is that right? I think so. Um, that, sound, that sounds right. Yeah. And so I know that there was sort of a, a big group involved that came up with those guidelines. Um, and I was sort of peripherally involved. Um, but I haven't had a chance to review the final product. But I've got a meeting coming up soon that's all about them. So Yay. Um, I know it's coming. So can you, because you are kind of peripherally involved, can you explain to me kind of what we're going to be able to do now that these are out? Yeah. So I think what's going to be helpful is, you know, a lot of, um, a lot of times it's families that are sort of educating providers um, about different clinical considerations. Um, And now it'll be something that, you know, you can sort of take with you and use to kind of educate providers and help provide a framework for providing quality care. Um, I think there's, you know, a lot of things that because we don't really think about, you know, in medicine and on the adult side, especially everything is divided up kind of by organ system. There's few fields, um, physical medicine, rehab, uh, family medicine, they tend to think about sort of the whole person over the lifespan. Um, but the majority of medical fields, that's just not how it's structured. Um, so all of that information has been sort of in different places for a long, long time. So like there are, 
you know, guidelines regarding different cardiac issues, but that's under sort of the purview of the cardiologist, et cetera. Um, and so now bringing all of that knowledge and literature together is so incredibly helpful because it will allow, um, you know, for people with Down syndrome to kind of have a one, a one, one-stop guidance, one-stop shop, um, as opposed to having to search in so many different places, um, you know, for it. So I think right going to be really valuable in that sense. And it's, it's fun too, because the Canadian guidelines have been around for a long time. Um, and a close colleague of mine, um, was involved with that. He's passed away now, but I, I think sort of in his memory, knowing that what has been done in Canada and that like we've finally gotten there. Yes, he's so absolutely. thrilled to know that because there's been sort of the IDD guidelines in Canada for a long time, but we haven't had anything in the IDD or the Down syndrome space yeah. um, on the clinical side till now. So I think it's really exciting. And I think too, that it provides a good precedent. This is a great example of what I was talking about where like the Down syndrome community really has the potential to be leaders um, for, for the entire IDD population. And these guidelines are an example of that. And so my hope is, is that this will sort of spur other work um, as we start to use them and we see how useful they are, that we can also use them to um, advocate for our loved ones, but also for the population as a whole. Absolutely. Um, you know, and thinking about it that way. This has been the Kindness Warrior Podcast, a Down Syndrome of Louisville production. To learn more about Down Syndrome of Louisville, visit our website, downsyndromeoflouisville.org. If you have questions or ideas, you can email us at kindnesswarriorpod at dsoflou.org. The music for this episode was written and performed by Alex Stotts and Owen Eiler. The Kindness Warrior Podcast is produced and edited by Ethan Holstein, produced and hosted by Carly Riggs. Thank you so much for spending time with us today.